0: Thanks, Fiona, and um, I just want to give a little bit of background if you're not uh, that much familiar with the story uh, of Nehemiah. So about a century before uh, where we were just reading in Nehemiah 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had waged war on the Jews. He destroyed the temple, torn down the city walls, and exiled the population to Babylon. Fast forward several kings, and we come to Nehemiah. Now, he was born in exile, and he was very much part of the society. Uh, You may have uh, noticed in the reading that he was cupbearer to the king. This sounds um, a bit like a a sort of a lowly role, but it was anything but. It's widely understood the term was largely honorific, and wasn't much to do with being a waiter, but actually an incredibly important trusted advisor. Some theologians historians have suggested it could have been the equivalent to being even a prime minister or a chancellor. We just read in Nehemiah 2 that the king had seen that Nehemiah was sad and asked him why. Nehemiah explains he's downcast because Jerusalem is in ruins. Now, as far as I can make out, Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem. He found out about the state of the city, because his brother had traveled there and told him. When Nehemiah found out, the Bible says that upon receiving the news, he sat down and wept. Now, I think it's valid to pause here for a moment. It's easy to gloss over the why and move straight on to the action of what happened. But Nehemiah's motivations are key to understanding the whole arc of the story. When he finds out the state that Jerusalem is in, he laments about how the Jews had turned away from God and his blueprint for life. And as a result, had been exiled and seen their city and temple fall to ruin. He was sad that the city walls and the temples were in ruin, but it belied a deeper turmoil that the Jews themselves corporately were in ruin. As we cover Nehemiah over the next few weeks, you'll hear the story of how he led the rebuilding of the walls, something he's famous for. But arguably it's more important, I think, that he rebuilt society as a political, economic and social reformer all underscored with a desire to turn a nation back to God. By the standards of ancient and indeed modern culture, Nehemiah had made it. He was very rich. He had prestige, celebrity, power. So why was he captured by the idea of traveling a thousand miles across the desert? I mean... Google Maps says it's 982 miles by road, so I'm rounding up. But this would, back in, in, in the ancient times, this would be a very dangerous journey that would have taken many, many months. And remember, to a city he had never, ever seen. Any answer to this will inevitably involve a large dose of speculation. But I believe Nehemiah realized that you can have huge amounts of wealth, power, and prestige, be a one percenter, be a member of the elite and still feel your life lacks something. It isn't that fame, wealth, and influence are bad things, but that they alone won't bring your life meaning. And this is a, a truism found throughout the Bible, which truly is countercultural. It's an idea that runs the opposite way to the prevailing cultural wisdom. Implicitly and explicitly, our culture tells us that the fundamental, important things in life is how you look, how much money you have, how many possessions you accrue. And it's a narrative that permeates through our society, from the celebrities we venerate, to the way advertisers sell, to the stories in literature, on screen, and in music. And this is not just a benign idea, but one that can be harmful. It's all too easy to want the next thing, to want more, to believe we'll be truly happy if we just achieve or accrue enough, if we get to the stage we're aiming for. Did you enjoy your time at school? I didn't. I found it quite boring. I couldn't wait to leave. My first job was working as a magical demonstrator in Hamleys and Harrods. It was my dream job. Magic was a huge hobby of mine and being paid to do magic all day long was incredible to me. I soon found the long days and commuting tiring. What I really wanted was to perform at parties, which was much more exciting, better paid and less work. Well, I progressed to doing this, but soon was unhappy with that and wanted the next thing. Um, I wanted to perform at corporate events, which paid more and were a better working environment and managed to move into this field of work. And surprise, surprise, it wasn't as good as I'd expected. Corporate events felt too boring and limiting. No, what I really wanted was to work internationally and mingle with the rich and famous. More money, more glamour, more prestige. I slowly broke into this market, flying around the world, entertaining celebrities, royalty and billionaires, on private yachts and at lavish parties. But that too became boring and, and lonely. I began to miss the old days of working as a magical demonstrator, when after work my colleagues and I would gather in a cheap pub just off Carnaby Street, showing each other new tricks we'd come up with. I can chart this same sort of journey in my personal life. I thought moving out of home would be exciting. And whilst it was fun living with flatmates in central London, there was something unfulfilling about it. I got engaged and married, moved into a flat with my wife, but we were a bit discontented with that because we were only renting. We eventually managed to buy a house, but then what we really wanted to do was to do a loft extension. And now what we really want to do is a big ground floor extension. Now, progressing in your career and your personal life are not bad things. Indeed, they're things that should be encouraged my life would be very different if I was still um, a magical demonstrator being paid minimum wage living in my parents' house. But the mistake I made was thinking that these things would bring my life true happiness and meaning. And this is something that individuals who have it all have also realized. Countless celebrities and billionaires who reach the absolute peak of success end up donating the majority of their fortune to charity. One example, and there are many, but one example is Bill Gates, formerly the world's richest person. He's donated over $45 billion to charity. He worked his whole life to get to the top, And I believe once he got there, he realized it was empty. And now he's trying to change the world for the better and has given most of his money away. You don't have to be at the pinnacle of success in the world's terms to hear God's call for living a life of meaning. Moses was a wanderer in the desert when God called him to be a political activist. The disciples were humble fishermen when Jesus said the famous words to them, follow me and become fishers of men. Mother Teresa was an unknown nun in Calcutta before she began her now famous outreach to the poor and dying. A long time ago, I used to think being a Christian was about following rules, what you had to do and what you couldn't do. But the more I read of the Bible, the more I believe being a Christian is hugely about hearing the invitation to live a life of meaning, not just because of the change we can bring about in the world, but because doing so brings us fulfillment. Jesus called this the kingdom of God. And whilst books, many hundreds or if not thousands of books have been written on just the subject of the kingdom of God, I'd like to summarise it as, as the idea that living your life for others will bring you more happiness than living your life purely for yourself. And there's many ways to do this. Parenthood, friendship, activism, kindness, volunteering, having integrity in your workplace, politics, more. But for me, if there's one lesson from Nehemiah, it's that he understood or discovered that there's more to life than money, prestige, and power. And the invitation and the opportunity to hear and know this is available to everyone in the world, to all of us. It doesn't mean we shouldn't succeed in our career, achieve financial security or acclaim, merely that there's more to life than success on the world's terms. And it's, impo- it's so important that this is an invitation, this is an opportunity not a burden or a duty. Very soon, Maisie's gonna come back and lead us in a song of reflection. But just before she does, God spoke to Nehemiah through his heart. There was no flash of light and a booming voice from the sky saying, Nehemiah, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. God spoke to him through his emotion. When Nehemiah learned about the situation in Jerusalem, he sat down and wept, and he was moved to action. So when Maisie leads us in this song of reflection, my encouragement to you is to take a few moments to reflect and think how you might be able to look for where you have an opportunity To live a more meaningful and fulfilled life. And to listen for what God might be calling you to do, big or small. Nehemiah heard from God through his heart, and we hear from God in different ways. But let's just try and reflect on that as Maisie leads us now.